let's get agreement that this is a strategic priority. That area of alignment and synergy can be very important. Future, we're committed to expand valuation. time, there's still progress that needs to be made. This is Healthcare Strategies. Welcome to Healthcare Strategies. I'm Sarah Heath, Managing Editor of Intelligent Healthcare Media and the lead reporter on patientengagementHIT.com. Today's episode is something of a progress report looking at how a leading healthcare institution has followed up in health equity work in the three years that have followed since George Floyd's murder ignited a national reckoning with race. In the spring and summer of 2020, a slew of leading hospitals and healthcare industry groups made vows committing to health equity work. It's three years later, and some healthcare systems, like Stanford Medicine Children's Health, have something to show for those commitments. Although the work of achieving racial equity in healthcare isn't over, Kimberly Williams, a nurse by training but now an administrative director at Stanford's Bath Center for Childhood Cancer and Blood Diseases Hematology slash Oncology, said it's made great strides. We have Kimberly on the podcast with us today to chat about those strides and how Stanford Medicine Children's Health built its DE&I committee. Thanks for joining us, Kimberly. Thank you. Glad to be here. I count it an honor to be able to talk about some of the work that's going on across Stanford Healthcare. We look forward to hearing about it. I guess maybe to get started, I would like to talk a little bit about you and how, you know, you began or got your start in healthcare and you know, what your journey into a healthcare leader looked like. Okay, sure. I started out about 30 years ago in healthcare. I actually entered the system as a clerk in a doctor's office. And so my only responsibility was to check patients in at the front door. I never had any ambition to go to college or anything like that. So basically entered with a high school diploma and truly started in the grassroots area. So I feel that that has helped me evolve into the leader I am. So I started there and after a few years, I was promoted in that office and my new position was senior secretary. So my primary responsibilities there was basically to support the providers with phone calls and dictation. Back then we did dictation. We kind of had to type it up. So that was the majority of my work. And so I had a pivotal moment during that job and I believe that it shaped me or really made me aware of what I may have to contribute to healthcare and nursing in particular. So I had a boss, a wonderful endocrinologist, and she brought me in her office one day and said, hey, I really think that you should pursue nursing. I think you'd be great and you've got the it factor. At the time, I was a single mother of three rambunctious little boys. And so as you can imagine, that was not a part of the plan. I was really just working to keep food on the table and to take care of my children. And so she bothered me about that for at least a few years. And finally, I gave in and she said, you can go on your lunch, take a class. You won't have to pay for daycare and all of that. And so really to get her off of my back, I said, okay, I'll entertain this. Went to my first class. I was the oldest person in my class. And I remember the class was psychology and I absolutely enjoyed it and then found a niche that I felt like I could grow in. 
And so really the rest is history. And so I have a background of really standing in every position from housekeeper all the way up to my role now, which is that of a director of patient care services over our cancer program here at Stanford Medicine Children's Health. And so got finished with nursing school and was able to work in the PICU and then work in some other areas and thought that I needed to brush up on my leadership skills. And so I said, you know what, why don't we go back to school? So I did, and I achieved my uh, Master of Science in Nursing and just really started to be more involved, more engaged in having uh, that voice, especially being in a position of influence like that. I wanted to do more than come to work and kind of clock in and do the day-to-day. I really wanted to insert myself in places that I either had experience as a Black leader or where I could be an advocate for patients who look like me. And I also wanted to be an advocate for leaders who look like me. And so that's when I started expanding my engagement and my commitment to be a nurse that is really changing in a way that I want to see a change in the world. And so I then went back to school and worked on my doctorate degree to kind of get an understanding of the nursing role, how we fit into healthcare, what are some of our responsibilities, and what do I need in terms of education, or what can I put in my toolbox to make sure that I am impactful and that I am a leader that empowers and inspires people to do well in this area. And so one of the areas that I focus on the most is, at least right now, over the past few years, is how can I be a Black leader that can pull other Black leaders or Black nurses or other minority groups along this journey with me? And so that kind of landed me in the role that I'm in now in terms of working closely with other folks in the organization and really focusing on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I have one more thing I'll say about that. I was in a meeting a a few weeks ago, and it was on a webinar about Black leadership and in particular Black women leaders. And the speaker kept saying along the way for us to think about this statement, I can't be what I don't see. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. Again, it was, I can't be what I don't see. And so that was more of an inspiration for me to get even more engaged and be more purposeful and intentional about how I manage and how I participate or promote or advocate for this work. Wow. Thank you so much for outlining that for all of us. I hope it doesn't sound overwrought when I say that your career trajectory is really inspiring. You sound like you have accomplished so much. So I'm so glad that you were able to share that with us. I wanted to hear a little bit more about your current role and you know how you're able to use it to champion health equity and diversity in healthcare. My position is director of nursing for the Bass Center. And the Bass Center is just all things childhood cancer. The role already comes with 
a ton of responsibilities around developing practices around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and being involved in those things. This change for us, as I think in all of healthcare, we had a profound change three years ago when this whole George Floyd movement happened and Black Lives Matter. And so it changed us in a way that Instead of it being something that, you know, we talk about in some rooms, it comes up every now and again, we were really forced or challenged, I shouldn't say forced, but challenged to all hands on deck, get together and figure out what this is going to look like for Stanford Healthcare. So one of the things that the organization did almost immediately was look at where we stand in evaluation of our organization and how are we managing those areas? Well, there was not very much going on. There were kind of a few committees that weren't really focused on DEI, but not an assignment, if you will, of folks who would be able to help move this work forward. So, what was birthed out of that time and lots of conversation was Stanford Children's Health DEI Committee. And it's a shared governance structure. Our executive sponsors for the organization kind of lead it, and that's our COO and also our chief HR officer. And so for the committee, there are three legs to that committee. One is the Workforce and Workplace Committee. One is the Patient and Families Committee. And one is the Community Committee. And it kind of overlaps at some point on each committee. So we kind of come together at the center and are doing some of the same work, but branch off to do our specialized work. And so how I got involved in this is I was appointed to be a co-chair of the Patients and Families Committee. And so I share that responsibility with our patient experience officer. And to be more specific, so our vision statement for DEI was to include and empower our teams, and then recognize that diversity drives our ability to provide equity for all. And if I may break down those three committees, the workforce pretty much is about implementing DEI across the organization and putting initiatives in place um, that support all parts of the employee life cycle. And so everyone from you know, the guy you pass in the front yard and he's making the flowers pretty, or the person you come in contact with that's at the front desk when you enter the organization, our workforce is really going to be the ones hands-on engaged in most of this work. So that committee was really charged to create a culture of belonging. And the second committee, the Patients and Families Committees, which I am one of the co-chairs, really is there to develop strategies around health disparities and health inequity, and then also to focus on institutional, environmental, and human factors that impact how we deliver care for our patients and families. And then the community one is also one of my favorites, is to figure out how Stanford Children's Health can strengthen and expand our partnerships so that we can reduce child and maternal health equities. And so specifically, the group that I am a part of, we have several other areas that we really focus on, whether that be language barrier, whether that be food insecurities, equal treatment of our patients and families, and how we manage that. And so basically, if I had to kind of sum it up, my role, especially at the director level, 
really puts the responsibility on me to partner with and work with people across our organization to implement some of these grassroots efforts and also provide people with the education they need and the tools they need to move forward in an equitable process where any patient who enters our system anywhere can know and feel that they are going to be treated equal and the same opportunities will be given to them that's given across healthcare to non-minority groups. Great. And I wanted to hear a little bit more about some of your work in health equity, particularly, you know, throughout your long career in medicine. How have you seen equity in healthcare evolve? Health disparities have always existed, but, you know, the concept of health equity didn't become super commonplace, wasn't, you know, a dinner table topic until, you know, the pandemic, maybe a little bit before. Now that concept is broadly recognized. So I wanted to hear how has that changed the way that those inside healthcare can approach these problems? That's a great question. I'm just going to first start with my personal experience. And my experience from early on, I mean, I may have heard the word health equity, but you know, it wasn't until years later did I even start to um, hear it in a different way and evaluate what that looks like for me. And so back in my early years, health equity meant something that I thought was very simple, like making sure that we had interpreters for our non-English speaking patients and families, or making sure that we weren't violating anyone because of the color of their skin or their ethnicity. It was just very straightforward and not much work to really address that. So the teaching I got was make sure you're being nice to people and make sure that you don't show any differences and stuff like that. Over the years, what I have found as I evolve as a nurse leader is it's so much more than that. And so I think the things that stand out for me and the things that I've been able to be a part of is how we've developed focused, intentional, research-based practices around, one, the identification and the education or clarification of health equity. And we can do that through the way that we deliver care, whether that's through our workflows, whether that is through integration of technology, which has impacted that work immensely. And also being able to maintain databases and to be able to evaluate that data and really drive how we implement that change. The electronic medical records was huge in this area that was more specific about some of the questions that we would even ask when the patients are are coming through the door. And then for me, defining what health equity means across healthcare. And it seems so simple. I see in a lot of places, it says that equity is the state in which everyone has a fair and just opportunity to attain their highest level of health. That speaks volumes to me. Because even though we're advanced, there are more instances or more examples that still lead me to believe that we, yes, are making progress, but we've got a long way to go. I have the experience of when a African-American family, you know, is admitted and they're having issues or they're not satisfied with the treatment, 
I get to stand kind of in the gap and I'm often called on to go and meet with this family. And I will be transparent in saying that some of those times, a good bit of those times, I'm the leader that they come to because there's a Black family and they want someone who looks like that patient to come and have the conversation. But we have been working really hard on crucial conversations and really developing our workforce and giving them the tools they need that anyone, no matter your race or your ethnicity or the language you speak, any one of us should be able to have that conversation, not just me because I'm African-American. And a lot of work is happening around that across Stanford Medicine. Also, in the past three years, we have really taken the initiative or focused on the work around implicit bias and racial disparities. So our workforce pretty quickly after the George Floyd incident, we started looking at how we can start at the very basic steps and how we can engage our workforce, our teams to recognize implicit bias and racial disparities. And so we started with the leaders. They had to, to complete a course, and I believe it was eight hours. And then we started requiring that of all staff that they had to go through a training that was set up, not a very complicated all day something, but a class that would create awareness around that and also create a space where folks could really take a look inside and see how their actions or microaggressions would impact the way that they care for our, our patients and families. Great. And then I wanted to hear a little bit more about, you know, pediatric medicine. I know that's an area where you greatly specialize. And I wanted to hear a little bit about, you know, the main priorities for health equity in pediatrics and maybe how health equity might look different in a pediatric hospital versus for adult care and just generally kind of nuances that you need in health equity for pediatrics. So there are some differences, but I'll start with data around kind of what we see in areas that we focus on that really needs our attention. And so the biggest one, I think, is the language barrier. We have to have a system in which no matter what language you speak, you should be able to have available someone who speaks your same language. And that's from the phone call to checking in the appointment to being able to communicate with your caregivers. So language barriers are probably the most commonly identified as how it impacts the patient experience and the clinical care of that patient. We did kind of a little, I don't want to say a study, but kind of collected some data around identifying areas in which we should give the most attention to. And so this was mostly patients that were inpatients. And we identified these incidents by what we call an incident report. Black and Latinx patients accounted for about 64% of the reports that we collected. And they had a frequency of about 10 times more incidents than their white counterpart. And then the language barrier was about 34% of those patients that did not get an opportunity to have someone translate for them. 
And again, that is an area that we looked at and evaluated. And sometimes it's just, you know, a patient coming from surgery, waiting for one of our physicians to come up and kind of give them next steps about their treatment plan and not really taking the time to call an interpreter and make sure that they sit down with the parents and speak in their language. In the pediatric world, you may get a parent who doesn't speak so that identify like a sister or a brother of the patient that can translate. And that is one of the reasons why sometimes we're not successful and sometimes we haven't given them a fair chance of helping with the care plan or they've left the institution not really understanding what's required of them, what's available to them. Another area is we looked at how the maternal health numbers affect the way that we care for mom and baby. So at Stanford Healthcare, we do have a center. It's called the Johnson Center, and they take care of, of course, mothers and babies. But when you look at the health inequities there, it doesn't separate the work. And I think a lot of times when we say baby, it shows that we're just talking about the children. But because this is a children's hospital, that's one of the areas that we have to collaborate with the adult hospital to manage their you know, health inequities and disparities. And maternal child health is, as you might know, is really needing the attention of leaders and policymakers and healthcare leaders to change the narrative of how we're managing and how we're serving that patient population. In the past three years or so, where you think Stanford Medicine Children's Health has really excelled in promoting health equity, but also, you know, on the flip side, where do you see room for growth and and what kind of tools are needed to kind of keep health equity moving forward? In the last three years, Like I mentioned, after the whole George Floyd incident happened, this institution really decided that there is something that we need to start. Although some of this work started before George Floyd incident and it was already happening, we really wanted to elevate that work and move in a way that it was going to be the same across the institution. Something that was implemented and made a priority is what we call the Commission on Justice and Equity. And so this was formed back in 2020. And our main focus were for leaders and advocates of inclusion and diversity across the enterprise. We needed to get together and evaluate the advance in equity inclusion research and then take that research and figure out how we would be able to integrate that in our care delivery. And it's across the enterprise. So we didn't do this separate as the School of Medicine doing their own thing, LPCH doing their own thing, and then the adult hospital. And so in March of 2021, I believe it was the Stanford Medicine Commission on Justice and Equity started to really implement the previous work that they identified as a priority and how we would manage and how we would build a just and equitable enterprise. And so the four areas that they focused on was leadership, commitment, and accountability. They focused on having a more diverse community. And then culture of belonging was another priority. And then our health equity responsibility. And so We're mainly talking about, I guess, health equity. I'll just kind of focus on that 
So the core mission for them was to promote excellence in research, education, and care, and it shouldn't come at the expense of equitable access or quality care. And so what the focus was there is to build a health equity lens that all leadership would be very clear in terms of how we manage decision-making around health equity. And so they really focused on creating a new center for health equity excellence. And I think that speaks to kind of some earlier comments that I made in reference to how health equity looked, you know, several years ago in comparison to how we've grown in that area. The main arm of this is this is a data-driven approach, and it's really helping us unmask the healthcare inequalities across the institution. And so the specific work that was done here is just developing a health equity dashboard. And so they would work closely in measuring and evaluating how we are improving in that area, especially performance. And so they used internal and external benchmarks to be able to identify one, how well or how not so well we were doing. And then two, how can we partner with some of our colleagues and experts on improving the policies and approaches to eliminate racial and ethnic health disparities. We also focused on equitable care. And so equitable care started with measuring and then having reliable system-wide demographics that we could look at to help integrate health equity across the delivery of all practices. That required us to look at access. It required us to look at safe adjudication process for patients to report, you know, when they've been offended. So if there's any acts of discrimination or any feelings of being racially profiled or even bias. As we looked at this, we identified right away that some of our folks were demonstrating, you know, the microaggressions within the system and dehumanization was one of the areas that was kind of shocking, but it was our reality. And then once we recognized that the equitable care arm of it was responsible to figuring out how we can appropriately educate or course correct on patient-focused remediation or accountability around those actions. Some of the areas that I think our next step should be, we have all these wonderful things going on across the enterprise. And again, I'll just bring it back to where I stand and how this looks from my lens. We have a lot going on and been doing a lot of work around health equity, diversity, and inclusion. But this work has happened in these specific groups or identified committees and council. We need to move to, and I'm not saying this about, you know, all of the areas, but at least for Stanford Medicine Children's Health, we have to move to the implementation and really begin a grassroots effort on how we can work on changing this culture. I sit in a lot of, and I'll just use me and be transparent, I sit in these meetings and I'm a part of the work, but I can go out and ask my staff something about diversity 
or inclusion or what kind of work are we doing? I'm not going to get that question answered most times. And so I think now that we've created the infrastructure and we've created the priorities and we've recognized where we need to improve, we now need to move that work to a grassroots effort that involves, and I don't mean to say this in a condescending kind of way, but involves regular folks, the folks who are closest to the patient and the folks who are going to be responsible for helping to integrate a just and fair playing field here. And so I'm talking about the folks in the cafeteria, who's educating them, what do they even know about what we're doing in the area of DEI, and how can we best support that and help get that integrated into hopefully a culture change in our organization. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Williams. This was so eye-opening and I think will really help reignite some energy around the topic of health equity. So I'm so glad that we were able to sit down and have this conversation. Thank you. Listeners, we would love to hear your insights on this topic as well. So if you have any thoughts that you'd like to share or any questions or topics that you think that we should cover in future episodes, please reach out to me at kwaddill at intelligentmedia.com. That's K-W-A-D-D-I-L-L at intelligentmedia.com to share your thoughts. And also don't forget to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Thanks for listening. This is a Tech Target production. 